Well Rogers was uh, well known for his short quips. Once he said, there are two era in American history, the passing of the buffalo and the passing of the buck. While excuse-making, or making excuses, has been as old as creation itself, our generation has perfected the art of excuse-making. I was reading the other day about a judge who was asking a motorist, he said, how did it happen (laughs) to hit the other car? And the man said, well, it's really my wife's fault. She fell asleep in the back seat. When the father asked the college A son, he said, son, how come you flunked this semester? He said, well, dad, this semester I thought I could take basket weaving course, thinking that I'll get at least to get an A. But then two Navajos enrolled in the class (laughs) and raised the level, and I flunked. But I really love the story that Vance Havner, some of you might know that name, was a great man. Vance Havner said, tells a story about a pastor who ran into a lapsed member in the store. And he said, Bill, I haven't seen you at church in a while. He said, well, you know what's like. You know, the kids were sick, and then it rained, and it rained, and it rained. He said, but it's always dry inside the church. He said, yeah, that too. <laughs> That's why I don't come. <laughs> In Romans chapter 10, I hope you turn to it with me, God is making it clear in His Word that when it comes to salvation, there is no one has an excuse for not accepting Jesus' gift of forgiveness and eternal life. No excuse. The full responsibility of rejecting God's only means of salvation, namely the Lord Jesus Christ, is squarely on the head of the individual who has done the rejection. Those of you who are following the series of messages from Roman, you remember when we looked at chapter 8 and 9, we saw one side of the coin. This is a two-sided coin. We saw one side. We saw the sovereignty of God and the plan of God, the election. We saw that, the work of God's election. In Romans 10, the Apostle Paul shows us the other side of the coin. Make no mistake about it. It is a two-sided coin. Man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. Here the Word of God is saying that if a person dies without Christ, it is not because he was not elected but because he or she has rejected God's loving invitation of forgiveness and eternal life. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul, particularly verses 30 and 31, the Apostle Paul was speaking to the Athenians, and he said, the time of ignorance that is before Christ, the time of ignorance God has overlooked. But now, after Christ, he commands all men everywhere to repent, for He has appointed a day in which He will judge the world with righteousness by the man Jesus, and for a proof He raised Him from the dead. Five times in Romans chapter 10, Paul places the full responsibility for rejecting God's plan of salvation squarely upon the heads of those who reje- do the rejection. You see it in verse 8, 11. 
12, 16, 21. In fact, verse 21, the concluding verse here in this chapter 10, includes a very poignant plea on the part of God. But concerning Israel, He, God, says, All day long I've held my hands to disobedient and obstinate people. In fact, if you have ever asked the question, and I'm sure some of you have, if you've ever asked the question, why don't all people believe in Christ? Why, why would anyone reject the loving invitation of Christ? Have you ever asked that question? Chapter 10 gives you the answer. In fact, here he gives us four reasons as to why people reject the invitation to come and know Christ and repent and believe in Him and be eternally saved. First of all, he said they reject Jesus out of misguided zeal, verses 1 to 4. Secondly, they reject Jesus by their misdirected efforts. You find that in verses 5 to 13. Thirdly, he said they reject Jesus because of a deliberate mishearing of the message, 14 to 17. Finally, he said they reject Jesus out of sheer disobedience and stubbornness, verses 18 to 21. Misguided zeal, misdirected efforts, deliberate mishearing, and sheer stubbornness. Let's look at these very quickly. First of all, misguided zeal. I think you agree with me that there is no more tragic situation than a sincere person who is sincerely wrong. We see it on television just about every night, examples of how religious zeal for those people go out and kill in the name of their religion. Suicide bombers who kill themselves and kill other innocent people, thinking that they're going to receive paradise in exchange of killing misguided religious zeal. And who better understand a misguided religious zeal than the Apostle Paul himself? Out of his religious zeal and zeal for Judaism, he authorized the killing of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Even when he had an encounter with the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, he was on his way to go and terrorize the believers in the city of Damascus. Look at the zeal of so many people for their cults, whether it be Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or Scientology and the rest of it. Now, I have to confess to you, I, I find their zeal puts me to shame. Their zeal for falsehood puts me to shame for my lack of zeal when I know the truth. Listen carefully. If Christians believers have half the zeal for their faith, as some of the others I'm talking about, those in the cults, we can literally evangelize the world if we have half of their zeal. I am absolutely convinced of this, but the lukewarmness of most believers is keeping God in a constant state of nausea and totally preventing any possibility of a revival. I am convinced as I'm standing here today, 
Oh, how easy it is for people who can be zealous for a denomination or for a program or for a project or politics or sports or uh, church tradition or hundreds of other ways. And yet they're totally lost spiritually. Look at verse 2. Religious zealousness without knowledge is deadly. That is eternally deadly. And you heard me many times, and I will say it to the day I die. Religion kills, but Jesus gives life. So not only did the misguided zeal cause the rejection of Christ, secondly, their misdirected effort, equally horrid. Verses 5 to 13. You know, in these nine verses, that's 5 to 13, the Apostle Paul saying, listen, I mean, I'm going to put it in modern-day language, okay? You don't have to go anywhere to find salvation. You don't have to go to the Far East to study mysticism to find salvation. It's not there. You don't have to go to the forest, climb up a tree, or hug a tree to find salvation. It's not there. You don't have to get on a yoga kick to find salvation. It's not there. Salvation is only found in Jesus Christ, and He is close to you as calling His name. That's the Word of God is saying that. Now, I'm not saying that the Word of God. Look with me at verse 10. The Word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. The only thing you need to do is repent with all of your heart, confess Christ publicly with your mouth, believe that He rose from the dead, and He's going to do the rest. He is going to raise you from spiritual death to life. He will lift you up from the abyss. He will save you eternally. In many ways, it is the simplicity of Christianity. It's the simplicity of the Christian gospel that causes a lot of people to stumble. If you give them a complicated formula, they will follow it. You say, come to Christ. Well, that's too easy. That's why I reject it. Today, it's not a great deal of difference between the day of the Apostle Paul and our day, except for this. I believe with all my heart that those of us who are living in the West in these days are going to have greater judgment than the days of the Apostle Paul. Far greater judgment. Think with me. We have zillions of Bibles available to us. We have zillions of Christian books and, and available to us. We have zillions of Christian programs on radio and television and the media everywhere available to us. We have zillions of Christian seminars and conferences and conventions and, and available to us, and yet we have distorted the gospel. We have watered it down. We have taken all the rough edges to make it palatable to people, but it ends up not being the gospel. We have more knowledge available for us today, and yet that knowledge seemed to make us depart further from God's absolute truth. Listen to me. The hunger in people's heart today is being filled with all sorts of stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Stuff. Stuff that never satisfied and never will satisfy anyone. And yet, we do all of that just to get away from being firmly established in the truth is in Jesus. American corporations are spending upward of $4 billion a year on sensitivity training and on New Age consultants. And all that seem to be doing is moving us backward because we're doing everything to get away from the truth. 
Even among professing Christians, <laughs> there are so many head believers only, very few heart believers, and there are very, very, very few who are both heart and head. Romans 10.10, Paul is saying that for a person to be a genuine believer, the heart and the head have to be united. Making confession without faith would be in vain, and having and professing faith without confession is equally futile. Misdirected effort says, as long as I believe in God, I'm not responsible for my behavior. How many times have you heard that? God created me this way. My uncontrollable anger was not really my fault. People make me angry. (laughs) As long as I'm sincere, God doesn't care how I live. I know God wants me to be happy, and therefore my happiness is paramount. And I know God will bless me. No, 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 no. Paul is saying that all of these excuses will not wash with God. But the true faith of head and heart and behavior, they all must work together in sync, in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen belongs here. Today, there are many preachers who would say, it doesn't matter if the resurrection really happened or not. I know them. Some of them I've known well. (laughs) It, It doesn't matter if the resurrection happened, or not, as long as you just accept it by faith. That's double talk. That's gibberish. That's utter nonsense. Blind faith is not the Christian faith. Look at verse 9. Paul tells us that if you do not believe in the physical, literal, bodily resurrection of Jesus, you are as lost as those who have rejected Jesus outright. I love the story of a courageous high school student a few years ago from this church, and where the teacher was intimidating her and trying to say, well, you know, there are so many messiahs who claim to be God. There are many messiahs who did this and many. And, and she was, you know, I don't know st- professors in universities and colleges and high school, they try to do that, intimidate Christian kids. But this wonderful, courageous young woman said, ma'am, I believe in the one who rose from the dead. Not only is misguided zeal dangerous, not only misdirected efforts useless, but thirdly, deliberately mishearing of the message can be just as deadly, verses 14 to 17. God does not leave Himself without a witness. God sends heralds, and they announce the good news. God speaks through uh, family members, uh, uh, speaks through neighbors, and speaks through co-workers. God speaks through preachers and Bible teachers. God speaks through difficult circumstances. <laughs> I have some non-believing friends, Ben, when they're in trouble, they said, will you pray for me? You've got to understand that those difficult circumstances God's way of speaking. Don't let them get off the hook. Let them know that. God is forever speaking to those who truly hear and respond wholeheartedly are the ones who are saved. If I ask any believer to tell me, how did you come to Christ? With very few exceptions, which says God used somebody, or He may use several people to lead me to Himself. Someone cared enough 
for you to hear and respond to the message of salvation. And when you heard it and called upon the name of the Lord, you were saved into eternal life, my beloved. That is why my life's motivation, whether I'm talking to one-on-one as I do often, or I'm speaking to two and a half million people, it doesn't make any difference to me. It makes no difference whatsoever. I want people to hear me, not mishear me. Then after hearing the truth, my prayer is that their hearts would be convicted and they would believe the truth in Jesus, and then they would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. But I also encounter some who deliberately mishear the word of truth. Deliberately. I don't let them get away with it. They deliberately mishear the truth, and that deliberate mishearing of the truth is going to serve as a witness on the day when they stand before the high court of God. Question. Why must every single believer Every single believer. You cannot say, well, he's speaking to my wife. He's speaking to my husband. No, no, I'm speaking to you. Can't pass that buck. I'm speaking to every believer around the world here. Why must every believer should be and must be a proclaimer of the truth? Why? Because this is how the sovereign God chose for His truth to be disseminated for His truth to be revealed. That's how I chose it. Listen to me. If I was the sovereign Lord, and thank God I'm not, but if I was the sovereign God, I would not have chosen me to do this. I promise you, I wouldn't have chosen me. Now, don't get uppity. I wouldn't chose you either. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> the bottom line is this. When you and I refuse to disseminate God's truth, when you and I ignore the responsibility to tell others about God's truth, when you and I place our own self-interest above the gospel message, God is—we're not going to lose your salvation, but He's going to place you on a shelf. If you've ever been on a shelf, you know what I'm talking about. If you and I refuse to tell our neighbors about Jesus, we God is going to look down from heaven, and He says, well, you know what? I'm not frustrated by your disobedience. I'm just going to put you on a shelf, and I'm going to get somebody else who's obedient, who's willing, and use them. The problem is, when that happens, we are the ones who miss out on the joy and the blessing of seeing someone come to Christ. We're the one who miss out on the untold blessings of seeing a spiritually dead person rises to life. The very reason why God chose Israel, and Paul makes it clear here, even Moses made it very clear, the reason God chose Israel so that they may be a light to the nations so that they will get Yahweh known to the pagans. But instead, you know what they've done? They become so navel-gazing and thought, whoa, God is a smart guy. He chose us. God is really bright guy. He chose us. No, 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 no. God chose them to make His name known 
to the Gentiles. That's the purpose for calling them. And because of their unwillingness to introduce others to the Jehovah God, God withdrew His commission from Israel, and He handed it to the church. Read it in every last part of the Gospels, the four Gospels, and in the book of Acts, five times God hands the commission to the church. And if God, beloved, listen to me, if God withdrew His commission from the people whom Zechariah 2.8 says, the apple of His eye, would he hesitate for a moment of taking it from individual believers, take it from a church? Travel to Europe. You'll see with your eyes, thousands of churches have turned to be museums for tourists. God departed. He said, my spirit will not strive with man forever. And if God's speaking to you, listen to me, and you constantly overriding the voice of the Holy Spirit. Be very careful, because one day He's going to stop speaking. I'm not talking about salvation now. Don't force the hand of God to place you on a shelf and move in on with somebody who is willing and who is obedient. Question, why would God place a disobedient child on a shelf and move on? Because God intends for His message to be heard, not misheard. He wants the message to be pronounced. He wants the message to be witnessed to. He wants the message to be spoken, spoken truthfully. He wants to be revealed to others through us. For this is the way He said, my sheep will hear my voice and then respond to me. Verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news And here the Apostle Paul is quoting from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, particularly chapter 52 and verse 7. I'm always amazed at the way God works. You know what? And I hope that I will be until the day He takes me home, that I'll never lose that kind of wonder and amazement about the sovereign God working in different ways with different people. Sometimes He chooses the most unlikely people, and He does. In fact, most often. I heard so many stories through the years, but the one that stuck with me. When a friend of mine told me this story, he was a barrister. Barrister in America or in England is a high-cotton lawyer. You got that? That's what a barrister in England is, a high-cotton lawyer. He, he, he was very successful. And one day he finished his work in the court in London. He was going in the tra- sitting in the train reading the newspaper. And a semi-homeless man sat across from him, and he tapped on the newspaper. And my friend pushed his paper down, and the guy said to him, Sir, do you know Jesus? Yes, thank you very much. The man wouldn't give up. Tap, 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 tap. Sir, he puts the paper down and said, Sir, do you know Jesus? Yes, thank you very much. He puts the paper back up again. He kept doing this until my friend got so irritated, he got off a station early before where his home is. He said, I'll take the next train. This guy is aggravating me. But then… He goes home. He's eating dinner. The voice is ringing in his ear. Sir, do you know Jesus? He goes to sleep. Sir, do you know Jesus? Wakes up in the morning and is shaving. Sir, do you know Jesus? He goes in the shower. Sir, do you know Jesus? And the voice kept ringing for days in his ears until finally one day he grabbed the Bible and began to read it and gave his life to Christ. Sir, do you know Jesus? 
Later on, he gave up a lucrative career in the law, enrolled into seminary, and literally helped found an entire movement in England through Holy Trinity Brompton. His name is Sandy Miller. He told me the story personally. Elizabeth was with me. God has used him uniquely to revive many a dead church in London. Amazing work of God. Beloved, God can take our most feeble efforts. Don't despise the gift of God. Don't despise yourself. He can take the most feeble efforts, and He can transform a life, and that life can transform a whole lot of lives. It was a Sunday school teacher who led D.L. Moody to Christ as a young man, and D.L. Moody rocked two continents for Christ. A problem today, very few people are doing the work of announcing the good news of Christ. But do you know why? Do you know why? Whether they know it or not, they read deep down they're ashamed of the gospel. They're afraid of rejection. The vast majority of believers today are spectators. Beloved, listen to me. Why miss out on the blessing? Years ago, a lady walked up to D.L. Moody and she said, Mr. Moody, I don't like the way you do evangelism. He said, well, I don't like it either. How do you do it? She said, I don't. He said, well, I'd rather do it the way I'm doing it instead of your way of not doing it. Not only misguided zeal is dangerous, not only misdirected efforts are useless, not only deliberately mishearing leads to hardening of the heart, but fourthly and lastly, repeated rejection out of stubborn pride will lead to God's ultimate judgment. Look at verses 18 to 21. Beloved, if the announcing of the good news leads to hearing, and hearing leads to believing, the question is, why not everybody believes? Why not all the Jews in the time of Jesus did not believe in Him as their Messiah? Well, it's very simple. In fact, the early church, all of the early church were all Jewish but there were a small number. Why not everybody believed in Him? And that's a good question. And I believe with all my heart, and I want you to go home and read this passage, read it carefully, particularly the last few verses, because you will see that this is the very question that has perplexed the Apostle Paul. And he's saying, far from God being neutral toward His Jewish people, He's persuaded them, He pleaded with them, He begged them, He holds His hands open day and night like a parent who's inviting a wayward child to come back home for hugs and kisses and warm welcome. God said, I have my hands open, my arms open day and night. But instead of responding to the invitation of mercy, they chose to remain disobedient and obstinate. Read the passage when you go home. You cannot help but feel the anguish in the heart of the great Jewish apostle, Paul. And so Paul comes to the end of chapter 10 of Romans, and he comes full circle. And he said he places 100% of the responsibility of rejecting Jesus squarely in the lap of those who've rejected Him. Beloved, on the day of judgment, no one, no one, 
will be able to have a single excuse, not one. No one will be able to say, well, but I sought Him in my mystical experience, uh, but I traveled the world to find Him. No, because then they will know that all of their search were just running away from Him. Not one will be able to say, but I sought God in my meditation, speculation, philosophizing. For then they will know that all of these wild goose chases, it was just their way of running away from the truth. No one will be able to say, but I wasn't predestined. I was not elected. I was not chosen. No. No. I didn't like the preacher. Good luck with that one. (laughs) I just didn't hear correctly. No. I just couldn't help myself. I wanted to live my way, and I I want to be happy. The Scripture said in Romans 2, chapter 1, you are without excuse, O man, O woman, without excuse. That is why, my beloved friend, as I come to the end, I want to tell you this. Those who know must tell, and those who hear must respond. I don't know what category you're in, whether you know and not telling, or whether you heard and not responding. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work this one out in your life. But as we bow our heads in prayer, let it be your prayer, wherever you are. Help me, Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you have never left yourself without a witness. And for everyone at the sound of my voice, whether they know but not telling, or whether they heard and never responded, Holy Spirit of God, would you move with power, move with strength, move with conviction. And as you're gathering your church in these last days, as you're gathering your sheep from all across the world, I pray for Jesus' sake that if there is a lost sheep today, it would come to you. And that you would wake up your children and we stop talking and begin walking for Jesus' sake. Amen and amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.